Good morning, Christopher Robin. Oh, good morning, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> oh, bother. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Do you want to hear my radio voice? Sure. From CBS News World Headquarters in New York, this is the CBS Evening News with Katie Carrick. Coming to you almost live from the Hundred Acre Wood. This is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. And joining us on the show today is uh, international broadcast journalist Jeremy Lai from inews880.com. Jeremy, thanks. You make me sound so much bigger than I actually am. <laughs> Larger than life. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of a big deal, you know, going out into the world outside of your city and covering stories. And given what's been happening to journalists internationally people embedded with troops uh people being kidnapped and and all kinds of good and terrible things happening to them we thought it was quite topical to have you on the show today so thanks for joining us well thank you for having me uh so where have you been in the world reporting outside of edmonton i've been to australia naturally um el salvador honduras guatemala mexico and canada Right on. Which would go. technically be a foreign country. I su- for for you, yeah, I suppose. Yes, it is. It is for me. Well, you asked me to be a foreign journalist, and I'm going, uh, gee, I don't know if I... Hang on a minute. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm Australian. I keep forgetting. <laughs> it doesn't count because we're a Commonwealth country. Sorry. Maybe that's it. There is this sort of... Well, there's enough. If this was... Uh, if we were doing this in Calgary or, or Banff or Whistler or somewhere like that, technically, I think that is an Australian country. <laughs> now, it's an Australian territory. Definitely. And, and I'm sure for the Olympics, Vancouver, Whistler are going to be crawling with Aussies, which is fine, you know. Oh, right? I feel bad for Whistler then. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. There won't um, be a drop to drink, I can tell you, after <laughs> by the end of the Olympics. <laughs> oh, man. Um, any particular reason for your focus on Central America? Did it just kind of work out that way? It did kind of work out that way. I sort of, um, b- by the time I decided that uh, I was going to come and live in, in Canada with my wife, I thought, uh, well, you know what, I've always wanted to go to that part of the world ever since I was a kid. Uh, there seems to be a tradition of Australian journalists going to Central America and doing piece to cameras with open neck shirts and their jackets slung over their shoulders, <laughs> looking in cowboy boots, looking very macho now. Not that I did anything particularly macho, but uh, I thought, well, this is an opportunity to do do just that. So I had some. Uh, fortunately, I had some contacts that uh, where I could go as uh, you know an accredited, uh, insured yeah. person. There was a there was an election coming up, so it was newsworthy, and uh, and uh, just. Uh, told my fiancé then at the time, rather sheepishly, that uh, I could be a little distracted going up. So a bit of a couple of detours, but I'll, I'll be up eventually. I just know it. <laughs> so you came to Canada from Australia by way of the equator. Yes, pretty much. Basically. That's right. So how does one, like you mentioned, you have some, some contacts who are able to get you, uh, I suppose, credentials yeah. to be able to report. How does one go about becoming a foreign correspondent in a, in a country far away from home? Uh, I think more often than not, it's being there at the right place at the right time. Uh, I've heard a few times, um, Amanda Lindout had uh, uh, got as much um, brickbats as anything else when she was released uh, because she went there on her own initiative. Now, she was in a different situation. She, um, uh, I'm not saying she had no reason to be there, but people said, well, she was inexperienced. She was, uh, didn't really understand the area very well. I thought that was a bit harsh. I must say, because as far as I could tell, nobody else was covering uh, that terrible situation in uh, in Somalia that was going on. Yeah. Um, so when you you're in Central America and you were there for an election, yes, to begin with, yes, the uh, Manuel Zelaya's uh, he's now on the way out of well has been on the way out for the last six months or so. I think now <laughs> it's more official. He's on the way to the Dominican as we speak. Uh, but that was that was the uh, that was the big story. Yeah. At the time. And and obviously, I mean, elections time limited in terms of coverage. You stuck around, I'm guessing. Yeah. And what did you wind up? Uh, what was what was what were you covering then? Instead uh, of- then I got into the when there was an election stuff happening. I thought, well, actually, I first thought I was going to go there and cover corruption, thinking that's uh, Central America. I mean, how can you go wrong? <laughs> and uh, 
and it was pretty clear that corruption in Central America wasn't for front page news. It was sort of That's, pretty common. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're just like, yeah, this is kind of a way of life for us. Yeah, I think one story that actually got um, that actually did get on the front page. I remember was someone very high up in the Attorney General's office was selling passports to the Russian mafia, and that sort of was more. Okay, well now that's probably more of a front page corruption thing, but hmm. the usual stuff. There's a certain certain acceptable level of corruption that just keeps government moving it's down there. It's just not news. Oh yeah, yeah, that that's very true, but yeah, that's right. It's just it's just not news. I think Fair you have enough. to bite three dogs in that part of the world to actually get put it that way. It wasn't even news for uh news agencies back in North America or Australia or anything like that. Like that you couldn't be like yeah, when things like the election itself, more towards when it was winding up, but um, but uh, things like there was a, a Mesoamerican conference that had most of the heads of state in that area, except Chavez. Uh, he didn't show, which was very disappointing because I think we all wanted to just see this. He was just starting to well, with his bluster. Yeah, you kind of want to see what he's like in real Absolutely, life. Absolutely, yeah. Because like the, recently he said that uh, the earthquake in Haiti was caused by the American government. Uh, because they <laughs> they were testing they're testing this device yes. called the uh, well I know what the acronym is right it's right harp uh, with two A's right and it's supposed to be uh, this this weapon right that causes natural disasters and of course <clears throat> Haiti being an obvious target mm. uh, uh, Caribbean or Central American paradise you know that, see once you cripple Haiti then you can sort of pretty much take over the whole area I, and I think that's exactly right <laughs> well yeah. I have nothing to add. I, mean, I have nothing to add to that. So uh, <laughs> that 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 does sound like like uh, like um, like Chavez. That's for sure. Oh, that would have been really cool to see. It would have been. I, I, years ago, I interviewed an economist who was at a um, a sort of a, an, an America's sort of uh, get together of all the local treasurers or heads of whatever the the head bankers of, of their respective countries and mm-hmm. there was this sort of everyone was annoyed that Che Guevara never turned up now that's not to say they wanted they liked Che Guevara or thought he was a particularly good treasurer he certainly wasn't but such a big name of course yeah, so. yeah. that's like anyone who goes to Cuba wants to run into Castro <laughs> that's probably true which was actually what I was basically going to ask next yes. not specifically about Castro but I mean you you hear about a lot of the, I'll, I'll use the term, banana republics yes. down in Central America. And you traveled through a number of them as a journalist. And I mean, most people who would visit them would be visiting them as a tourist. Yes. And when you're when you're going there as a journalist, that's an entirely different kind of... Well, kettle. different parts of the, of, of, of the country as well. Indeed. Yeah. Like, did, were you able to, I, don't, I won't say necessarily interact with some of these people, but like get an opportunity to like see some of these people in action as yes. it were, like just the these dictators and their and their powers and their militaries and their corruption, as was mentioned. Um, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't want to say corruption in, in the same sentence as the example I can give, but I, I because I uh, he was a rather heavy-handed uh, minister of um, security, but I. I got nothing on him that says he was corrupt at all but it was quite fascinating talking to him it was sort of um uh that that was in honduras and and uh, at that point there was a huge crackdown on gangs uh mara salvatruca and all that all that sort of and and they are crazy bad really really bad and one of the things that you can define them as is uh having um uh, tattoos on their faces they just say ms13 and stuff like that oh yeah they're really uh, terrifying to look at, and they're even they're even worse than they look. I can tell you, but um, they were sort of. Uh, what happened was that there was a government crackdown by the police and the military to arrest anyone who was uh, wearing a tattoo, like not just on their face, but anywhere. Yeah, and thrown in jail. And you don't have any tattoos. Right? No, I don't. Thank goodness. That could have been tough. That could have been tough for you yeah. in particular. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Yeah, you have tattoos. Yeah, but I I'd wear long sleeves. Fair enough. You'd yeah. want to wear long sleeves. Yeah. yeah. And, and and to get some perspective into this, the the Maras were so obnoxious. And we have Maras in Canada. In fact, when I was there, I did something last year on Ched about how uh, one I spoke to years ago was looking at what was then a booming economy in Canada, in Canada is that being their next stage of where they were looking at. But they are in Winnipeg. They are in, um, I'm trying to think around Toronto as well. Wow. Um, anyway, they, the people there were just so fed up with this this appalling organisation of people, and uh, and uh, it got to a point where there were a couple of people who were arrested for having tattoos and thrown in jail, and um, just for having the tattoos, along with all the other Maras. Now the Maras decided they weren't going to have any of this going to jail stuff, 
So they set fire to the jail. And (laughs) so they think that there would be some way to get out. Well, what um, uh, the Honduran security did was circle the jail with the cobras. And the cobras are sort of like a a very intense form of the police and the army. And anyone who got out of the jail was gunned down. That's it. Straight up. Yeah. Including these two kids who were in jail because they had uh, the tattoos. Wow. What was really astounding, though, was the reaction from the local people. They saw a lot of dead Maras. It's a real shame that two people were killed, innocent kids. That's it. But <laughs> we got a lot of dead Maras. That's not so bad. That was the reaction. So that's, uh, for me, I, thought that, I found that to be a bit of a culture shock. I can't imagine Canadians thinking like that, but then, because it's a different culture and we of don't course. have that intensity of, of people are just at their wits' end. Um. Now you're in a you're in a place a part of the world that's extremely different different values especially yeah. when it comes to gangs obviously people at their wits end. Uh, did, were you ever in any situations personally where your life was at risk or was that more or less constant? Um, yeah, I I think I think the uh, it, yes, but it wasn't it was it was really quite strange because. Uh, it was actually in the last week. It didn't, wasn't because it was the la- uh, it wasn't the last week because of it. But there was an instance where uh, we had done something rather stupid, where we had gone to the same place twice. Uh, what do you mean exactly? Like- We'd gone to a church that was being renovated. And this is about when was this? This would be about August two thousand and five. Uh, and early in the week, we'd gone there twice and and thought that um, uh, well, it's a story. I had to go back and take some shots. Whatever reason we did. And uh, when we, at the end of that week, a fellow who was apparently a DEA officer, from what I understand, went to that place as, as well after we did. Mm-hmm. It was very unusual for foreigners to go there and was, was killed. Wow. So and that, he was killed because he was mistaken as a foreign journalist. So they'll actually go after journalists? Oh, that was part of the initiation for a lot of these Maras was to take down a foreign journalist. That just fills me with a warm feeling. Student journalists. Yeah. Stay home. Don't go to Honduras. <laughs> or was that Guatemala? I can't no, That was Honduras. That was Honduras. Which apparently was that, I think I saw something. One of those journalist organizations wasn't uh, some frontier or anywhere like that. But they were doing a, a, a survey on, on what the uh, most dangerous countries in the world were. Now, top of the list was Afghanistan. Yeah. Somalia was next, funnily enough. But Honduras was seven. And I got to tell you, I did not feel like initially the first couple of days you're going, wow, this is all very new. But after a couple of days, you don't, it's not like you're sort of uh, walking around this, you don't feel like you're in this powder keg of, of, uh, you know, instant. That's almost worse. Like this, you know, sinister uh, violence that could happen out of nowhere if you're not, you know, in the back of your mind aware of it. Yeah, they captured this person the following week. In fact, one contact I had in the military said, "Uh, mate, I thought it, well, he didn't say mate, obviously, but he thought uh, (laughs) that it was some, I thought that was you because, you know, this this was something that uh, uh, they interviewed the guy and he said they were after foreign journalists. It was me and one other fellow who was there as well. So, uh, and who knows? I didn't take it personally. I thought it was just, you know. Part of the job? Well, no, it was part part of whatever initiation that they had. Um, but that wasn't the most instant time of danger. I have been in a situation where there was a bit of, little bit of gunfire being fired on one of those sort of, sort of it was a raid on a, uh, what you'd call a, a sort of a, a Mara stronghold in one of the slum areas. And that was uh, probably, looking back, maybe that was the most dangerous situation I was in. Yeah, like actual bullets whizzing by your head. Yes. I'm just trying well, to Well, not German- by my head, but, but you know. You, you, close you, you close a, by. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you were observing an operation that had actually gone a bit wrong. And oh. uh, and that sort of, and, and the, I think this is probably one of the dilemmas for journalists in that area is that there is a sort of, how would you put it? There's a, there is a sort of calm, calmness about it because you feel like you're not really a part of it. But you totally are. You, you totally, you're yes. still a target. Yes, right? and and that that's a re- and that's something that you really have to be wary of if you are going to go to a country like this. Is that uh, you can be as unbiased a reporter as you like, but you're not neutral, and you are having an impact. Just covering an event uh, is going to have uh, an effect on the people that you're covering. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a journalist here. Well, that's. Um, um, let's maybe go not flash our weapons, or or maybe let's no, do it. maybe let's flash them. Let's show them how uh, how we do things here. That sort of stuff. Wow, that's a very common thing. I have said wow more than ten times so far <laughs> <laughs> because this is very 
you know, so far beyond the experiences of, you know, normal people, much less journalists, I would say. I mean, Scott, you're a journalist. You, you also dabbled in journalism I did. at a time. I, was so, I, I certainly have never had bullets well, and this is the thing, being right? fired nearby me. Most people will go and cover, well, this is such a, a generalization, but like a council meeting. Right. Where the risk of someone pulling out a weapon is just so tiny as to be, you know, not even worth considering. But that's the thing that that I think journalists. I, I, it wasn't a war zone where I was. It, maybe it, it, it qualifies as a conflict zone, I, it, depending on your definitions. But for a journalist to cover that sort of thing, you do really have to be aware of the fact that everything you do does. You're not neutral. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is an effect that you're there, and you have to. You just have to be constantly. Uh, very judicious about what sort of decisions that you make. That's a great jumping in point. I know that we have some some journalists who listen to our our podcast, and that's not me blowing hot air. I know some of them are student journalists who mm-hmm. are probably very interested in what you have to say about reporting in a in a foreign country. For those people who might be interested in traveling abroad and and plying their craft, what what skills, what tips would you recommend they have going into that kind of situation? Like, if hmm. just so that you can you can pass on your own experience I can tell you to this. prevent someone else from getting shot in Honduras. <laughs> <basically>. <laughs> well, look, if you're a journalist so-called who wants to sit on these fat ass and rewrite press releases all day, I wouldn't guarantee this <laughs> this move. Put it that way. Um, <laughs> I uh, uh, well, it's it's probably something that you you won't be doing on your first um, couple of years reporting. No, uh, I question. think it's something that needs to be sort of uh, there is training available. In a situation like that, if if that was something you really wanted to specialize in, then if you're working with an organization that has the resources to send you over there, and if something comes up, then then put your put your uh, your hand up and do it before you have kids because you're not going to do it afterwards. Yeah. It's not for a few years. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it. But is um, did you, you went to journalism school? I right? did. And so is there I, – I, I'm sh- sure there's no class that's, that's uh, you know, covering – well, maybe there is. There are, there, are there classes yes, for there like was. being embedded with troops and stuff like that? That sort of Not thing? Not so much being embedded with troops. That sort of thing is taken usually uh, by the, uh, say, in the, in the case of a war, by the, by the military okay. sort of thing. Of course, I did, I did a master's degree at the University, University of Queensland, and we had a great course in war and peace reporting by two BBC journalists who used to cover the Gaza oh, wow. conflict years ago. That's Jake Lynch and Annabelle McGoldrick. Uh, and they travel the world doing doing this particular course, and they talk about these things, these issues, like what I just mentioned before about um, uh, conducting yourself in those sorts of situations. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, it's certainly not a place if you want to be a macho cowboy, carrying on, which I um, maybe can be if I want to be, but I can tell you now, in that part of the world, you don't want to be. So is it? It's you know, in your best interest to kind of blend in. Do people know you're a journalist? They sure. probably know you're oh, not yes, from that country. Oh, yes, of course they do. Yeah, right. they, well, they, they, yeah, you just look different. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> he, has, <laughs> he has basically red hair, everybody. <laughs> and, you know, Distinctly not Central American. No, and I don't, I don't think I sound one. We're all, we're all gringos <laughs> over there, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and then they hear you're Australian. They're like, suddenly they all want to talk to you about... You know, beaches and kangaroos and stuff. So. <laughs> and deadly, deadly animals. So many deadly I animals. Know, it's vicious. <laughs> <laughs> that place is an island to protect the rest of the world from the animals that live there. It's <laughs> And they sent all of English, England's toughest prisoners to Australia to learn how to manage those animals. Learn how to be eaten by them. <laughs> I had no idea how many bugs we had in Australia until I came to Canada. I was just saying this to my wife the other day. I said, "There's nothing. There's no no. We got we have mosquitoes. Nothing here wants to eat you. Nobody, you know. At worst in Canada, you get like a tick, and maybe you've got mountain lions. My God, mountain lions. Yeah, they're they're lions from the mountains. Yes, <laughs> terrifying. I guess <laughs> I've never. But seen you know that. what? Here's the These thing. These are rugged lions we're talking about yeah. here. Here's yeah, the hiking thing. boots on. Like. And we would turn around and be like, and you've got dingoes in Australia, and you'd yeah. be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like cougars, yeah, okay, whatever. When my wife was over there, my God, it was it, it's funny to look back on it now, but um, uh, there was a python, and most ha- homes have a great big giant python in summer that comes and eats all the rats. Oh, okay. They're great. I mean, you, you welcome these things <laughs> to come in, and you can see them. They're huge. They're like those um, great big long snakes, and they sort of, uh, if, if there's a tree next to your house, you can see them sort of, 
link over and then crawl slowly into into your apartment and then you can hear it in the the roof upstairs and uh my wife of course canadian who in the, the land of mountain lions <laughs> thought, saw this um heard this noise in the roof and i just knew mm, there's no way i can tell you what that is it's the house settling <laughs> yeah and actually it's the when, heat <laughs> it's the... when when my parents used to say that we knew that it just meant there was a mountain lion in the house <laughs> in the roof <laughs> like, like eating all those rats, Good for the rats. eating all the rats yeah. <laughs> uh, to go back to your question before we the, actually, I, this, tra- this train is actually more fun. But um, there oh, are. We'll come back to it. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there are courses that you can. If, if, if it's a good school, you can probably get to one of those sort of courses mm-hmm. and do that. And they'll teach you all about that, um, about how to, uh, what the issues are for, uh, for foreign reporters and uh, basically not being an issue yourself. But, but that, it's, it's really hard. I'm sure. And, and uh, that's probably, you know, a fairly general course based upon those two correspondents uh, experiences before you go to a place like Honduras you obviously have to do your own research yeah and uh, like how do you I mean you've got this training you've been a journalist for a number of years you have a master's degree how do you prepare to go to a, a particular country is it, it you know is there a process that you go through yeah one of them being trying to learn the language which I flunked that terribly until I was actually there and then learned it in two weeks because you had <laughs> yes to. because you had to I think I was yelling at a taxi driver who refused to listen to my directions and I swore his car was on fire <laughs> smoke <laughs> smoke was sort of pillowing out of the dashboard and I thought okay well this is this is a terrible way to go um, <laughs> if these are if these are my last moments oh god <laughs> that's right Jeremy Lai we hardly knew you <laughs> <laughs> I just got off the airport come on um, yeah so uh uh, there's not really much more. Maybe talk to people who have been to that part of the world is a great way to do it mm-hmm. as well. Uh, not a lot of Australians go to, to Central America, unfortunately. No, because so. no, our sphere of influ- influence for what it is is sort of more Asia and uh, that part of the world. Well, actually, before we started recording, because I'm not totally familiar with all the places you've been, but my assumption would have been Southeast Asia. Like it seemed like the most logical place for you. It, it is, uh, yeah, for everyone but me. But yeah, it was um, a, a lot of journalists. <laughs> Knowing that you had to be in Canada at some point, you figured Central America. Yeah, it was on the way. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. on the way. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at a map. <laughs> sort of. It's not on the way. It's a 60-hour flight, my God, from Brisbane to Tegucigalpa. Not fly, well, you're not flying the whole time, but it, what was it? It was Brisbane, Taipei, L.A., uh, Mexico City. San Salvador and then Tegucigalpa at the time. Are yeah. there no airports in South America that you could have stopped at? That yeah, seems well, that very roundabout. Yeah, yeah, go to Chile and then maybe just go straight up. I mean, at least it's the same part of the hemisphere. Yeah. And I'm trying, I can't sleep on planes. Oh my so God. So I am trying to sleep. I really am trying to sleep. And so I'm at these, yeah, uh, this is terribly irresponsible. Please don't do this. And I know it's a cliche, but I was at you know bars trying to you know, drink up a bit, at least take, yeah. Something to knock you out. Yeah, just yeah. just relax a bit. I recommend um, mixing mixing medication with oh, next time. God, who listens to this? This is terribly <laughs> irresponsible. Ladies, Don't do it, ladies and gentlemen. Twenties of listeners. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't. I, and this is something. I, if I'd been a cricket player, I would have known this: is that the alcohol doesn't take effect when you're in the air so much. And of course, by the end of it, after sixty hours, no sleep. Um, Full of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, effectively. Um, it all sort of comes crashing down at the end. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> In this country where I had, you know, I thought I did research. I have absolutely no idea what the hell's going on. This is all these people out in the yelling at you, buying stuff. Here, do you want to change currency? Here, do you want to go in my cab? Yeah, I, I imagine that uh, that the reality of being on the ground in a foreign country Even if you've done as much research as possible and you're going into report, it's just an entirely different experience. Exactly right. So do you you have a moment where the culture shock sets in and you kind of just sit there with your jaw open? Like, what the hell am I doing here? Did Or were you just, I mean, you seem like a dedicated journalist. Were you really? Afterwards. Yeah. Afterwards. Afterwards. When I came to Canada. Actually, I found the transition from Australia to Honduras, where I was based most of the time, was, was sort of, it was fairly okay. There was more guns on the street. I mean, there are guns on the streets everywhere. But like, like guys carrying machetes everywhere. No, just guys, just regular guys. Yeah, regular guys. Whole um, uh, guarding 
convenience stores. Convenience stores are sort of like, and this bit I, I found rather, rather sort of. Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously not in Kansas anymore, where you go to a to a milk bar and the person is in a booth with, in a cage, and you put money underneath and they sort of have all the the stuff that you want behind them and weird all that sort of stuff and you hear stories from the locals uh one in three people are victims of violent crime in that part of the world violent crime and the finca where we were staying um because there was, there was me and two other journalists there as well uh there had already been some um uh, some american girls were staying there as well and they were sort of they each of them had been uh, held up at gunpoint on the street where we were staying which was a nice middle class street really yeah They'd been there for a few months. They were teachers or something like that, and wow. and uh, it, and if that had been, but because you're in that part of the world, it's sort of like, oh well, that's sort of no big deal. Well, it's a big deal, but it's not as uh, it's not unusual. Yeah, yeah. Just like poor driving is not unusual in Edmonton. That's all we have here. Right. Poor driving. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I um, hope I'm not contributing to it. I think I am actually. <laughs> we it's on the right. We drive on the right. Oh, that explains <laughs> a lot, actually. <laughs> Come on, I had to make that joke. <laughs> if, if I had a contract, in my contract, it would say, mm. if an Aussie's ever on your show, you have to make a joke about driving. That's Anyways, okay. I'm, I apologize, No, Jeremy. that's all right. I'm used to it. It's, it's to a point now. I'm, I'm expecting it. I bet. You must get that a lot. Even, uh, well, I imagine in Honduras. We all carry just... knives. We all, uh, we're all fighting. We're always drunk. I've done nothing in this interview to dispel any of these. Maybe I should have, but anyway. <laughs> He's drinking out of a keg of Fosters, by the way. <laughs> we don't, oh, there's a myth for you. We don't drink Fosters. No, uh, that's probably for the foreigners only, right? Yeah. What do you drink? What, I, you in, in, I drank uh, VB. There was a bar in Edmonton. Yes, there is. That, uh, I don't know if it exists anymore. Oh, the walk- no, there is one that's Was still- it the Walkabout Pub? That- yeah, are they closed? I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm, you I'm too old to go down White Ave. But I have a buddy from Australia who uh, we had his bachelor party there because we thought it would be hilarious. Right. And he, he thought it was just tremendous that they had real Australian yes. beer there. I was so, that was, that was a really good night for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a beer store in... Uh, in Edmonton, mm. who is not a sponsor of the show, but I'm going to give him a shout out anyway. Um, this is the real deal, then. Yeah, yeah. Sherbrooke Liquor Store on 118th Ave and St. Albert Trail. They have an unbelievable selection of beers, beers from all over the world that you can't find anywhere else. I don't know for sure, but I'd wager they have VB there. I will check it out. I think you should. Actually, I live right on Ghana, so there there are two places that that, that well then. It. But if they ever close down, <laughs> you know, well that's three. And that is an excellent time to take a break. So we shall. Ah, you gotta let it all hang out, fat bottom girls. You make the rocket. Apocalypse Cow, Edmonton's a cappella ninjas, have been entertaining audiences for 12 years. But now one of Cow's members is moving on. Come say goodbye to baritone Gil Barber at the Old Strathcona Performing Arts Center on Friday, February 5th. <laughs> Correction, the venue for the cow show has changed to the Knox Met United Church on 109th Street and 83rd Avenue. Tickets are just $15. For more information or to buy tickets, call 780-439-5799 or email kow at telus.net. And we're back with Jeremy Lai, you know what you mentioned? Man of Mystery. You mentioned sponsors <laughs> before, and uh, we are talking to a journalist. You want to know what else is good with journalism? The Edmonton Journal. That's right. Actually, everybody, the Edmonton Journal is one of the Unknown Studios' sponsors now. Apparently, we've talked about them enough that uh, they thought, oh, what the hell, let's give them some bidness. That so was very good of them. It was very good yeah. of them. So we are actually now obligated to mention them, and even though we were doing it for free before. I know. It's weird. So we actually go. probably would have forgotten. See, this is why newspapers are going downhill. Their business skills aren't quite, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay if you mention us a few times. but actually, <laughs> You're doing it for free anyway, one, but here's some money. <laughs> one of the things we're supposed to mention is that they have a mobile website so if you log on to the edmontonjournal.com, it's just edmontonjournal.com. With your mobile browser, you'll see a mobile-friendly website. And if you go to our website, at the bottom of the post for this particular episode is a link to their mobile launcher. So try it out, edmontonjournal.com. Back to the show. 
Was I supposed to talk through that? I mean, oh, oh yeah, fine. who cares? So, yeah. It's our show. I think we should actually, a little bit later on in the segment, we'll talk a, a bit about um, the culture shock, so-called, mm. of being in Canada, because um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. It's always amusing to talk to you know members of the Commonwealth, but who are pr- from the other hemisphere of the planet, to see what their impressions are. So we'll, we will get to that after we talk more about uh, you know drugs and machetes and convenience stores. So, one of the things that you that you covered while you were in Central America was kind of like the, uh, I suppose, the drug war down there. Mm. What kind of stuff did you see? Cocaine. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I stumped him. I, I guess he wasn't expecting that question. I saw, uh, we saw an island, and I got dengue fever there of all places, on an island called Los Mosquitia, which, strangely enough, is a lot of mosquitoes and carry. <laughs> <laughs> awful diseases. There was an area down there that we we went we went down and had a look at, and that was sort of one of the the um, the former uh, cartel homes. That was in that area, and we had a look at uh, what was going on. And was there still quite a lot elaborate? Of, yes, a lot of activity there. Yes, there was. Huh. And so, how close can you get to like if you're if you're doing reporting on? It was. Oh, sorry. Let, let me. It wasn't like in, we didn't have. Uh, you know, James Bond villains walking around with machine guns. No, no, no. This no. place had been abandoned. We weren't doing anything quite so intrepid. But it was, uh, it was, it was quite fascinating to see. I mean, you mentioned the drug wars. It's, it's amazing to see where all the money goes into and elaborate the, the homes. Lux- yeah, what's that? Into elaborate homes. Oh and... God, yes. Yeah. What, what kinds of what outdoor kinds air conditioning? How's that? Outdoor air conditioning. That's pretty good. In Everybody, Central America. I want you to think about how stupid that is. But if I were a drug lord with money to burn. That's probably what I'd yeah. spend it on. What what other kinds of strange things? Outdoor air conditioning. I'm going to be standing by the air conditioner outside if you need me. You want to be outside? That's the way to do it. I guess. Sea breeze isn't enough, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What made you decide to leave? What made you? I, I mean, you you have a wife here mm. and everything, but was there was there anything particular that you were like, I need to get out of here and and do not international foreign journalism? Or, or were you just like, huh? Next thing, going to Canada? Um, I don't know. It's something I'd always wanted to do since I was a kid, I suppose. And this was the opportunity to go and do it. Hmm. Yeah. Now I travel. I, I had been traveling around for a bit and sort of doing uh, before I be- officially became a journalist, if you can become such a thing, uh, where you know friends from Australia would say, "Oh, can you know this? I know you're in that part of the world. Do you want to go and?" take some shots or something like that oh. but I, I can tell you now I wasn't a journalist back then yeah but um, but the, the bug sort of bit after a while and I think um, I did enough traveling by then to, to go oh this is uh, this is kind of fun yeah some, someone can pay me to do this even better now you uh, you ended up in Central America you mentioned that a lot of Australian journalists who do foreign correspondent work tend to end up in kind of like the the Southeast Asia area up, yeah. up in up in Asia was Knowing that you wanted to do some foreign journalism, where did you really want to go? Did you want to go to Central America? Or? Yes. Yeah, fair that, enough. That had always been a country I'd been fascinated by. Oh, fair yeah, enough. Very much so. Hmm. Uh, have you Everyone ever... goes to Indonesia. Well, if you're an Australian journalist, <laughs> Indonesia or Singapore or, or Vietnam and, and, and China, if, uh, if, they, if they really like you. And I guess in, uh, in North America, we all end up going to the Middle East. Yeah. It seems that way. Well, yeah. when the war started, the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war, of course, we had, we had soldiers in both of those wars. That's when there was a lot of, uh, a lot more journalists going over to that part. But it's not unusual also for, for uh, think of a couple of good examples of, of Australian journalists who have sort of, uh, even before, like Michael Ware from CNN was one journalist. He's still, he's still with CNN, I believe now. Uh, he went to Afghanistan, I think, ahead of any sort of all that stuff that had happened in in 2000, 2001, excuse me. Is there any desire or was there any desire for you to go and cover wars like like the one in the Middle East or to cover the conflict in Gaza or anything like yeah. that? Yeah. And uh, I get <laughs> Jeremy's new, uh, newly uh, a father now, so I don't imagine you have a tremendous amount of freedom and it's certainly not just your choice now. Are you gonna go back? Yes, I'm gonna, uh, but not for. Uh, I think the last of their kids uh, are old enough. To oh, remember. okay. So you, <laughs> this you is have... something that my wife and I have spoken about quite a bit. 
Yeah. She knows me. She knew what I was like when she married me, when she met me pretty soon after. Maybe that's why we got married. She knew me very quickly. And uh, she um, definitely, we've, we've, we've had that talk. I'm sure. Yes. And uh, she, she knows what I'm like. And uh, that's the sort of thing that I, 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 uh, I know how to cover. And, and, and it, it enjoys the wrong way of putting it. It's uh, just, uh, well, yeah, I guess not. I mean, you, you can enjoy it the job it's rewarding for you to go it's rewarding that's a good way of putting it but it's not like you're you know all right everybody let's go out there and cover this war and oh shit a bomb just went. no not at all yeah. and and if you were like that then i would really recommend whoever's sending you not send you yeah mm. um did you i know I, there's a there's another journalist who works in our newsroom who's also been abroad before that would mm-hmm. be don lawson has yes. worked overseas um and i know just recently he should be with, there now there like, you go. Yeah, he should be, and he's not. He's in. Uh, he worked in Haiti. Oh, which is what I was actually going to mention is the earthquake just happened in yes. Haiti. Don, the first pictures were coming in, and Don was like, "I, I wish I was there right now. I yes. wish I was there right on the ground." <laughs> have you ever had it? Yes. Have you ever had an instance like that happen yeah. where you've just seen something happen and been like, "I should be right there." I was very close to going when this this problem with uh, Manuel's liar happened in uh, when was it? I think it was about July. Last year was when the Honduran, when sounds right. Yeah, when when the army arrested him in his pajamas and he fled <laughs> the country, dispelling the Banana Republic uh, <laughs> <laughs> sort of stereotypes yeah. right there. Well done, boys. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was. I I think I was a week off when that happened. Uh, I spoke to Leslie Primo here about that, and she said, mm, "I don't know about that. It's not something that we can really do." And I said, "Look, I'm probably going to go." Um, I've got everything ready to go. And she said, okay, well, if it's still a story in a week's time, then do it. But uh, it, it, it actually wasn't. It sort of started to go down a bit. So, uh, And the urge to leave my family to go down there, and um, I, I suppose, did go away. Yeah. yeah, but if it's Haiti, Haiti's a bit different. Haiti's still a story, and if, if and it might continue to be for a while. Actually. And if there was another Hurricane Mitch in that part of the world, uh, yeah, definitely. What's what's the 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 impulse that drives you to want to go and cover things in dangerous places like that? What is it that drives you to do that? I don't know if it's a universal thing, but I really do feel like I'm at my, I'm. I just, jeez. Oh, That's not an easy question. It's not an easy, no, it's not, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. <laughs> um, I really felt like I was doing something that I, I, I just, enjoying the work. No, it's not, I really felt like I was myself. That's really where you fit in in terms of journalism? Yeah, I really enjoyed the fact that I was, I was sort of, um, uh, had, I, I guess it, it's a bit of a delusion to feel that you're a non-participant. And I keep going back to that because you're not, it's something that isn't isn't struck enough. Uh, you are a, you are a participant to what's going on just by the fact that you're there, but you feel like you're not. You feel like you're just observing what's going on mm-hmm. around you, and that's a that's an interesting feeling. I think every journalist probably feels that they like to be a fly on the wall and watch the rest of the world happen, and they can just sort of be there to watch it. But and this is a very uh, you know that's that's probably the ultimate. That's as far as you can take that. Yeah, that sort of feeling. So I liked it for that. Yeah, I still don't think I could do it. Uh, I I've actually I've been thinking about it lately. Have yeah. you? Because it's it's come up a lot lately. Yes. And uh, I don't know. I don't know that I'm brave enough that I'd be able to go and put myself into a situation where I I knowingly would be in danger. And like on the one hand, I can I can understand the need for for that story to get out and i can i can certainly see the value in it and i certainly respect anyone mm. who would go and do that i just i don't know if i could do it and maybe it's just the place i'm in in my life right now maybe in 5 years time i'd be like screw it i'll go to you know somalia and cover what's going on there and not think twice about it but I just I could not conceive of of putting my knowingly putting myself in that kind it, of danger. Well, it wouldn't be for it, it's not there. You don't do it to put your life in danger. I was at a party a few months ago, and, and someone uh, said, "Oh, talking about it." You mentioned where you've been. Suddenly, that's where the conversation goes. But um, uh, said, "Oh, well, you've clearly got a death wish." <laughs> really, I don't think you go there wanting to die. No, absolutely not. It never even occurred to me. That's why I'd go there. Well, I, th- I imagine for a lot of people, they just look at that kind of behavior and think, 
you know, look around you. you right now you're here, you're in the first world, you're running water, you know, yeah. there, and, and you can walk around. We have and, floors. Yeah, and not, exactly, and not worry about stuff. Mm. So why would you want to put yourself in that situation? Well, you say it's because that's where you feel that you're at your peak performance in terms of what you want to do for your career. Yeah. And, and I, you know, that, that's definitely not everybody, obviously. And and also, and it's great. I, I used to do uh, some investigative reporting back in Brisbane, and I, in, in a place like that, there is just so much scope for it. Because, uh, and especially in a war sort of situation, you look at the situation in, um, not necessarily a war, but in Gaza and the West Bank. Oh my God, that's that's uh, you've got, you've got a wealth of material on either side of that conflict mm-hmm. to go on, and there's just. Uh, for any journalist to to sort of find the, the what's what's really going on because everyone has an agenda in those sorts of parts. Everyone, everyone from a and I found this too when I was in uh, in El Salvador. Actually, we're talking to some refugees, and 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 even a a, a young kid has an agenda. It sounds like a really cynical thing to say, but yeah. they do. They they do. They they would would um, say anything to put their to put a their own agenda out there hmm. everyone is switched on and i think and it's not just a, a sort of a, a, a us here in the internet age where it's all of mass communication this is even in places where in very remote places hmm. um I I, that surprised me i hope that's not too cynical no not at all i i, I mean i you know from a strictly psychological point of view which is where my training comes from um that's what human beings do. Like it's about yeah. trying to, uh, and this does sound cynical, trying to take advantage of, but what you're trying to do is, you know, project an image of yourself to be able to accomplish certain things. And yes. and in desperate situations, uh, you know, even if you're very young, uh, not well-educated, you're still doing it. Exactly. Like it's well, just, and it's and a, in a desperate situation, you're doing it even more. And yeah. it's because a matter the of stakes survival. are higher. Yeah. Very true. And, and That's very especially, good point, actually. And especially when, when you're dealing with a journalist, because a journalist has the ability to get that message out to other people. Mm. So did, did you ever feel, uh, and I imagine you're a lot more savvy than this, but did you feel as though people were trying to take advantage they all and, take advantage. Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> naturally, naturally. Why is this bastard lying to me? It should be implanted in every journalist's <laughs> head, no matter who they're talking to. Yeah. Just, just as a, just as a safety catch, I suppose. I think that of Adam all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and all I'm ever trying to do is trick Scott into baking me cookies because I love him so much. Here. Yeah. But he's a <laughs> terrible baker. So let's let's change gears a little bit. Do you want to? What do you want to talk about? Well. Jeremy wanted to talk about Australia. Yeah, I no, I talk- didn't. Yes, you well, did. Well, you wanted to talk I about I want to talk about VB and kangaroos and wallabies and whatnot. Oh, here we go. <laughs> 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 um, because, uh, you know, I do I do think that this obvious, this obvious statement of the show, mm-hmm. they're two very different countries, Australia and Canada. Yes. And, um, you know, not just superficially, I would say. So I, I've never been to Australia. Right. And I don't think Scott has either. Oh, no, I haven't set foot on any foreign continent. One day, someday. So you talked about culture shock. Mm. For you, what's, what are some of the more bizarre things in, in, that take place in Canada or that you've come I across I love the snow. It may not be what I think bizarre. I think is what people are going to think I'm bizarre when I say, but I love the snow. No, I don't think that's bizarre at all. I love it. I think that's great. Well, well because you just probably- step outside and it's like, uh, you know, minus 10. It's Wow, yeah. that's like outdoor air conditioning. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I forgot to say we have that. <laughs> it's it's switched on right now. Yeah. I'll, we'll turn it off in a few months. I think the snow is fantastic. I love driving on it. I love uh, I love the way it looks. I think it's just amazing. And people complain about it, and it's like, no, no, come on, this is this is, uh, yeah. I, and look, maybe after thirty four years, I got a little sick of the beach. I can't believe you would say that. <laughs> I don't think I'd... Well, but I mean, obviously... You take it for granted. The grass is greener, right? Or the snow is whiter, as they say. Yes, that's right. The I, snow is much whiter here, I can tell you. <laughs> well, and he only has to worry about mountain lions here. Yeah. As opposed to deadly scorpions and jellyfish and octopuses and, and snails pythons. and house pythons and yeah. spiders that are aggressive and want to eat you. Stuff like that. So it's it must be nice during the summer to walk outside and not have your monsters, life threatened by not monsters. have monsters <laughs> bearing down on you. Yes. When my wife and I were dating, it was actually I, actually I must say I, I I really started to see my own country as sort of through the eyes of someone who'd never really been there before. Mm-hmm. 
maybe that was kind of a bit of a way to sort of oh for sure yeah yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it. this is an interesting interview I'm learning a bit about my myself here this is <laughs> amazing we'll try to we'll give you the, the air, yeah. in a podcast <laughs> <laughs> but I started to really appreciate I did start to really appreciate the beaches and the and the the rainforests that we have so close and the the the, the sort of um, everything that you can do there mm-hmm. in that part of the world I, I realized it was really maybe because by then I realized I was leaving it and I really started to enjoy it. So yeah. Any plans uh, for you to uproot the family and go to Australia, or, or is Canada kind of it for you? Um, no plans to go to Australia. I don't know what where we're going to go. I lived in Fiji when I was a little kid. Oh, really? For a couple of years, yeah. And that sort of maybe that's where a lot of um, sort of wanting to travel and see what other people are doing around the world came from. I don't know, but um, uh, it's not a new. It's from a very young age. It was sort of uh, I knew that. Um, it was quite possible to have a family and, and travel around the world a bit. Uh, so I'd have to sort of counter, you know, family safety with. You know, yeah, I mean, you're not going to drag them into a war zone. Uh, no, no, that's that's firmly out of the question. But the, do I if, even have to say that? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but if the opportunity came up to do to ply your your craft in another country that wasn't, you know, terribly risky, is that something that you and your wife have talked about? Yeah, it is. We'd we'd, we'd like to travel. Yeah. I'd like to travel around. I, I didn't travel for the longest time, and I didn't start doing it again till my late twenties. So it was that's that's once the bug bites, that's it. Yeah, be careful. So and be and uh, Scott, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, don't get <laughs> don't get the bug bites. That's terrible. You're gonna say something. I was gonna ask um, if you could go anywhere, and I assume it would be somewhere relatively safe, like tomorrow, and travel there and stay there for a while and do some journalism where would you like to go right now probably somewhere in the middle east i think is always going to be interesting yeah most people live in that part of the world and survive i'm sure we could too quite happily i think places like um uh, you know lebanon and areas like that would be an interesting next step well, in a great, I mean... Years from now. I, I'm, I'm saying this in the cast now. Oh, God, I have to do it now because I said it on their show. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> our show will be on think for I'm years. Like, yeah, people <laughs> might think I'm, you know, don't commit to my ideas. But I think that's something like, that would be interesting. And that's uh, that's like when your kids are all... Miami would be very interesting because that's a real close sort of center area to a lot of the stuff that I already to, yeah. covered, I suppose. Well, and it might get... Uh, Lots of places. It's going to get a hell of a lot more interesting down there too. Like things changing. I mean, I would for me, I'd want to go. I'd want to be in Cuba if I had to be somewhere because I think the way that the U.S. is changing their foreign policy toward Mm -hmm. Cuba is going to gradually, but dramatically change that country. I I had the opportunity to go there last May, and Mm -hmm. it was just an all-inclusive thing. So I obviously did not get to see. The country the way one would if one went and spent a couple months down there. But um, we did take a, a, a tour of Havana and like, I mean. I'd love to see the. There's nothing like that here. Yeah. Nothing like that. Not even close. Old, you know, uh, 12th century Spanish architecture yes. or whatever. Like it's, it's, we don't have anything like Cars that. Cars from here. the 50s. Yeah. Incredible. And, uh, and, you know, even some of the Cubans that we talked to said, Already things are changing because no one knows what's going on with Fidel Castro. I I asked one of them, I said, do you think he's actually dead? And he said, there's no way. Because if Castro was dead, someone, no matter how bottled up the government has everything, someone would say something Mm. and the rest of Cuba would find out. But because of Obama in the States and Raul Castro taking over for his brother, things are already starting to change. Yeah, before. Well, I mean, uh, but not not a big in. way, yeah. but but <laughs> even you know, it's a difference is apparent even to Cubans. Yes, that's very true. So if, if there are considering how it has been for a very long time. And obviously, that's not a. It's we're not. It's not a true conflict nation. It's a, you know still sort of got flavors of Cold War there, but and it's not violent aside from you know everyday muggings, I suppose. Mm. But it still for me would be a terribly interesting place in America to really go and check out and and you know in spite of the poverty in spite of all the problems that cuba has it is a beautiful country mm. there's no question it's undeniably very beautiful so it's a beautiful part of the world i haven't yeah. been to cuba but it I, I, and i'd love to see it before uh, at the expense of the cuban people i'd love to see it before it um sort of changes from where it has been because it is oh yeah it's it is it is history yeah absolutely it is uh 
I would say China for much the same reason. Yeah. China's yeah, undergoing true. a very dramatic change right now, and uh, I imagine that it would be a very interesting place to go and, and you know, explore and, and report from. Also, potentially dangerous place, because uh, you have to be careful what you say and when, or you might get thrown into a van and disappear for the rest of your That's life. That's true. But I think that my interest would lie there. Hmm. Not that I'm saying I'm going to China to report. So China and... Uh, China, Cuba... And, and the, uh, Middle East. the Middle East. There you go. Is, yeah. If it's still news, I mean, I'm sure. I don't know, man. <laughs> no, exactly. The Middle East is so five years ago, Jeremy. <laughs> I know. It seems, unfortunately, like there's going to be a perpetual conflict in Gaza and the West Bank. I mean, it's been going on for But you know what? Centuries. They said that about Ireland. They said Ireland for the last 600 years was never going to get better. Really? Yeah. And, and in the last 15 years, it's just dramatically change that's something else actually this this that that um the course that the bbc journalist talked us in was that there is one of the things that um i suppose the dilemmas that that journalists face is that it's very easy to fall in the trap of saying they've been fighting for years they're always going to fight uh there's no hope and if you look at the media and how many stories are coming from those areas around the world you hear that a lot Mm -hmm. and yet it's sort of, and I think there's a, there's a huge concern about, uh, well, if you say that and if you report it that way, maybe it'll help perpetuate that sort of con- continuing. Yeah. Violence. I don't know. Maybe that's overplaying the impact well, that media has. At worst, it's probably not responsible because it's not quantifiable. Mm. Like you couldn't, you couldn't look, you couldn't look at what's happening in in Israel and and Palestine. And say for sure this is gonna this is going on for the next hundred years for sure. Mm. Just like you couldn't fifteen years ago have looked at Ireland and been like, the IRA is going to be fighting against the the government forever. Yeah. And really, I mean, that's tailed off so much. I don't even know that. I remember in my lifetime. I remember when people were saying these people, the Northern Ireland and 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 England, they're going to be fighting for they'd be fighting for six hundred years. They're going to fight for another six hundred years. The yeah. People I thought would would have known better. And uh, it, thankfully, it's not the case. It's not great, yeah. but you know, it's sort of. But I think when people fall into that trap of saying that's where it's going to, it's just going to continue on like that, like that forever. I think that's sort of um, maybe that's a role that that journalists can have in these sort of in in conflict areas is to sort of go beyond the 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 violence and and the disagreements, as dramatic as they are. And they do make for good stories, no question of that. But to look, who are the people on the ground there who are actually trying to change it? Do you think that would have an impact on yeah, some of these uh, situations? Do you think if journalists in, say, Northern Ireland yeah. had been focusing more on, on people trying to help as opposed to just well, the, there was the a people huge shooting at process, each other? And, and there was a process brought in by the governments, and so journalists just covered it. I'm not saying there weren't journalists who thought that way, but that that was an, an initiative that kicked off uh, uh, you know, the subsequent media coverage that made that idea more realistic. Yeah. Fascinating. Very. Um, what was I going to say? Something about governments being responsible and blah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. whatever. That's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> that is all that I had. Um, is there any desire for you to go to places like, say, the United States or, I don't know, you know, First World Europe and cover what's happening there, or is it really the the, the big conflicts, and, you know, and sort of massive? This is this is even though I'm going to use this adjective, it's not going to really put it in the right context. But massively disruptive human events, yeah, uh, like wars, is that or you know corruption and that is that really where you want to be? Or if there was a you know. Well, it's it's really great to cover it because I know there's a country I can go back to at the end of wherever you are that's perfectly safe, and so you've got that luxury at the back of your head. And, of course, you're covering people who – that is their whole world. Yeah. I would almost add that uh, – I don't know. It seems to me that uh, – and, and that's not – I'm not trying to peg the, the news media as being – focused on on negativity and war and death and explosions. But it seems that for journalists, the more interesting human drama would be unfolding 
in places where there's conflict, in places where yes. there's poverty, in places where there's illness, like where there's suffering and and tragedy. And and uh, I'm not going to say necessarily responsible journalist, but a journalist would feel an impetus to go and tell that story more than to just go to the states and be like, hey, President Obama's black, and here's what black people have to say about that. That and I'm not saying that's not news and that that's not a story, but it's not the more compelling story. Well, True. It comes down to the fact that if there's no there's no conflict, there's no drama. If there's no drama, there's no story. But, I mean, in first world countries like Canada and the U.S., say, there's still tremendously tragic things that happen, like, I don't know, the Ku Klux Klan in southern states. Racism is still maybe persistent. I don't, I, I'm not saying that this is actually what is happening, everybody, but I'm saying that... It, I'm ask, I guess I'm asking you, Jeremy, it, mm. would it be worthwhile for you to go to places and try to dig that stuff up if, if you have uh, some notion that it's taking place? Or is it really the, the more dramatic, air quotes, dramatic places that you want to be in? I think it's probably the more dramatic ones. Yeah. I think once you've done it, that's, that's it. It's sort of... <laughs> As I load the question. <laughs> that's, that's responsible journalism, everybody. <laughs> I, I think it is. And it's not... It, it, there, and and I, wanna, I just want to make it very clear because... A lot of people who cover these sort of events are sort of, you know, you're a cowboy, you're looking for trouble and all that sort of stuff. And and, and I'm I'm not if if that's true, I'm not aware of it. I'm really not. But it is like you said. That's where the stories are. Have you ever come across? That's uh, where people are at their most extreme, making their most extreme decisions. Yeah. Have you ever come across any fellow journalists who would fit into that uh, cowboy category, where you're just like, you are probably going to die. I'll never see you again because you're no. Nuts. Most are no, out there doing the responsible thing. No, I haven't. Those, those would be bloggers, actually. That would be <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I think at, at maybe maybe at the bar at, at the end of the week, it sort of everyone gets together, and maybe that's when the. But that's probably more of a you know a sort of a release thing. I, yeah, I, guess, I would in think a way. so. But um, but in the actual field, no. Uh, and and you, you it's it would just be you'd be a danger to yourself, and you'd be a danger to other people that you were covering as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, if you were like that, if you, if you were so inclined. I think that would be a, a real, real huge mistake to send people like that. Nope and I, and I've never experienced it because I, I dare say news organizations realize that. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Because mm. you send someone out there like that, that's tremendous liability, right? Yes. We they send- get killed very quickly. Uh, there was a few of them. Like um, I think when the when this is interesting when the Soviet Union started to fall apart and the, and what was going on in um, Sarajevo and places like that, we started to see uh, a sort of um, we started to see a, a, a free press to some extent anyway, starting up again. Hmm. And a lot of, and I, I haven't covered this part of the world, but I, friends of mine that have said that a lot of the, the ones from countries like Lithuania and Estonia were really, you know, gung-ho, would wear the, you know, have the, the vests and the cameras coming off them and would do things like get into their Jeep and drive out to a, to a dangerous area. And the, the, not surprisingly, the death count was rather high. <laughs> um, but that was sort of, I think that's probably more of a, uh, maybe an immaturity. Of, of of the and that sounds a bit pompous, doesn't it? But that's probably it. Just not not a fully matured uh, industry that they're from. Yeah, no, I, think, I think they learnt very quickly that wasn't the case. Yeah, or they just died. Or yeah, it happens. Let's uh, let's move on to a lighter topic, seeing as we're we're coming up on uh, on an hour here. Sweet. Uh, let's go over to your fast fifteen and do some journalism on Mr. Jeremy Lai. <laughs> I'm going to totally do journalism on you, Jeremy. I don't remember this. What's this? Okay, so <laughs> I, I don't remember this on the podcast. Obviously, which Jeremy. is strange because he mentioned he'd listened to a few podcasts. Apparently, I, not I, the whole thing. Apparently not. So at the end of. <laughs> We started doing this, at this during the second episode. Yes. Uh, at the end of every podcast, mm-hmm. we will ask our guest 15 questions. Right. Uh, the first 13, we ask the same questions of every guest. Just hilarious, random stuff. And then the <laughs> l- <laughs> he looks scared. And then the last two questions are just ones that I wrote right. randomly because I thought it'd be interesting to ask Jeremy Lai this question. So, Jeremy, yes. are you ready for the Fast 15? No, but let's do it. Okay. The first question, what is your favorite food? Uh, stir-fry Asian. What is your favorite color? Red. Mac, PC, or Linux? Uh, PC. Dogs or cats? 
uh, if I have to choose, probably dogs or, or cats. Ceiling dogs pythons. with dogs with um, temperaments of cats, so they can <laughs> take care of themselves. Uh, those don't exist, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll put like you down. A mountain here. lion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something that will kill someone else. Yeah. Uh, what was your first vehicle? Um, it was well, uh, well, probably a bicycle. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Your favorite holiday? Was three. My favorite holiday was uh, New Caledonia. New Caledonia. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that one. It's in the uh, South Pacific. Oh. It's very nice. Your favorite sport? Oh, rugby, fencing, swimming. God, they're all equal. All right. Favorite pastime? Favorite pastime? Uh, not being interviewed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been actually it's been lovely. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> thank That's, you. Thank been, you. I'm just being awful. <laughs> um, favorite pastime? I've got so many. Uh, probably spending time with family now. Oh, did I say that? You did. Oh, ladies gee, and gentlemen, what have he's I turned officially into? a dad. Oh wow! Asked me a month ago. Oh no, a month ago, a couple of years ago, it'd be quite different. I assure you. <laughs> That's okay. We all grow up. Yeah, old, yeah, grow old. Right. I can't remember. Uh, your favorite music right now. Right now, mm-hmm. um, I'm listening to a lot of classical because my daughter likes it. Again, being a dad. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, then I'm guessing. It, it, I got to tell you, when you become, and this is this is the strangest thing, is that you you don't just become a you become a dad. It's it's a total change, and uh, yeah, it's a bit sad, really. You hear that it's a transformation? It is. A, it's a metamorphosis. Why are you talking? To me? I, it's not like one day I'm having children anytime soon. But I know one day you will. Well, I want to. I'm, that's what I'm I assume that you want to at some point as well. You no, shake your head I now. I do not. I do not. <laughs> got two brothers. Right. And my eldest brother has a uh, little boy. Yeah. Who I love. Yeah. And I know my little brother is going to make several because that's his plan. And that is good enough. You for want. Me. You want to have nephews because they're children that you can have fun with and give back at the end of the that's day. That's right. Or or nieces to be. Or fair. nieces, yes. yes. Um so anyways, moving on. Sure. Uh your favorite movie. I saw Wings of the of Desire last night. For oh, the yeah. first time in twenty years. And for a long time that was my favorite movie and now I'm sort of looking at going, gee, this is a bit slow. <laughs> but that's your answer for now? Yeah, that'll do. All right. My favorite movie. Um I oh another actually is my favorite movie again, Taking of Pelham One Two Three, the original one with Walter Matthau. Watched it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Robert Shaw. Uh, That's a good film. That is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, A movie that you dislike, but everyone else seems to like. Austin Powers. Doesn't make me laugh. And apparently it hasn't aged well if you did find it funny. Yeah. It's one of those movies you go back to and you're just like, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, it's. There's one funny gag in it once where a a, a guard at one of those uh, sort of super villain installations was killed. And I think the family was given, you know, sort of like the death knock. Like, oh, you're sorry about that. And you never, you know, oh, that's kind of funny. But that was about it. Yeah. Jokes say, even that's sad now. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, the one movie that you get made fun of for loving. We're really big into movies, by the way. Yeah, no, that's fine. Probably the Muppet movie. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Anyone either. who makes fun of Jeremy Lai for liking the Muppet movie can go <laughs> themselves. <laughs> We're on to question 13. Yeah. We call it the Fast 15 for a reason because it takes, wasn't a, very fast, takes was a really it? Sorry, long time. I, I, it's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I know what his answer is going to be to this question, Scott, and that is, Jeremy, what is your proudest moment? Oh, it's the death thing. It's not that I have to say. I'm just painfully aware of, of, of how, because it used to drive me crazy in your dads. It's like, please go away, you know, and, and then you become one yourself, and suddenly it's like, I'm so sorry to those those new dads. Should have been, <laughs> been nicer. And uh, Yeah, and I could I could honestly talk about my, my, my wife and kid for hours and hours on end, and my workmates, uh, you should all be very thankful that I don't, because I could. I'm this close. Oh, he will. <laughs> he's coming back to work soon, and he will. He's, he's going to be that guy. <laughs> no, I won't. I'm, I'm very sensitive to um, yeah, to my workmates. Sure. Not really, but that's one thing I'll... <laughs> he says he is. Now, now we're, we're going to move on to You're the... You're laughing, Scott, because you know I'm not really that sensitive. <laughs> He's not, no. That's not the impression that I'm getting. Now, we're on to the wild card questions, and just because we've been talking about traveling so much, I wanted Can to I know... Can I say dad to this? And just, you you no, might be able okay. to. <laughs> where, where do you want to, where do you think you'll take your next family vacation? That not Honduras... Oh, no. <laughs> what a good idea. Let's not to go there. I would like, I can't wait to take them to, Mos- to Australia. 
I yeah, think that'd be tremendous. Uh, yeah, I think that would be, that'd be. There's a real ritual in Australia where you take your kids out into the surf, and oh, you bring them back again. But, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go, be free, <laughs> sink or swim, kids. Time to show just how Australian you are. Um, I'm really, and that is a real, and that is something that I, I think. Um, I think a lot, a lot of Australians really enjoy is sort of like when your grandparents or your parents take you out and see the surf for the first time, get in it, learn how to duck waves and swim and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Cannot wait to do that. Awesome. I think that'd be tremendous fun. And then our I last... hope they don't drown. I'll, I'll make sure they don't. <laughs> well, I'm, you wouldn't be much of a dad if you didn't. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Honey, the kid's drowning. Ah, she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> our last wild card question. Yeah. If you were not a journalist... If for some reason you could not be what you are, wow. what do you think you'd be doing? And you can't say, like, video store clerk, because that's just lame. I was, I, I, years and years ago, I used to be a musician. Can I go back to that? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll what, do that. what did you play? I played bass guitar. Nice. I was a token white member of a Jamaican reggae band. <laughs> like, we just keep them Reverse around. tokenism. Yeah, yeah. it was. That's yeah. good. That's good. I'm glad to see that things are balancing out in the was universe. This my, it's the least I could do. Yeah. You know, little, little, one, one band at a time. <laughs> All right. That was, that was a lot of fun. That was a Fast 15 with Jeremy Lai, everybody. Right on. So uh, what, what do we have lined up for next time? Well, our next show is uh, coming out at the beginning of February uh, before Valentine's Day. So we are going to have Brenda from The Traveling Tickle Trunk, which is a... Uh, lovely little sex toy store on White Avenue. Oh, she's going to join us and and you know talk Valentine's Day gift ideas, uh, safe sex and fun sex. Sounds fantastic. It should be indeed. All right, Jeremy. Once again, thank you very much for being on the My show. It's be been here. awesome, and we will probably have you on again in the future. I would hope it's so. been great talking. Oh, well, thank you. I, I dread being interviewed. I really, really do. And- and this has been very pleasant. Oh, actually. thanks. Thank you, Thank you. We try. We do our best. <laughs> Jeremy will be back on the air on Next our week now. <laughs> <laughs> In March, you're back, right? Uh, March 15. Okay. Yes. And uh, if you want, you can follow Jeremy on Twitter. That's Jeremy iNews880. That's it. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 16. Our guest, Jeremy Lai, our topic, Foreign Journalism, Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. Australian for beer. Mm.